for the last few weeks, looking at one, uh, one kind of episode from each of the books. And we've arrived here at the middle of, uh, of the gospel of, the, of this book and uh, find ourselves with this very uh, foundational and interesting, fascinating story about Peter and Jesus and the disciples. So let's start at verse 27. It will be up on the, the screen behind me. Peter's confession of Christ. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, And my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to roll up my sleeves for this one. That is, it's, Jesus' words are so incredible here. And so, just for our time and, and for our world and for right, right now, it's incredible. There was a, a story about Elvis Presley. He's giving a concert, and it was on September 30th, 1974, and he was in South Bend, Indiana. And as was pretty common at Elvis concerts, a group of teenage girls had made a big sign. They made a big sign. And at the right moment, in a break between signs, they rolled out that sign. And it said, Elvis, you're the real king. And Elvis noticed this, and he said, well, I won't do an Elvis impersonation. (laughs) But, you know, he said, thank you, darling. Thank you, darling. Thank you very much. 
He did say that. He definitely said, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I heard the recording. And he said, the thought is beautiful, dear, and I love you for it. But I haven't been caught up in this thing. And I can't accept this kingship thing because there is only one. And that is Christ. And the crowd went wild. I don't know if they would still do that today if like Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift or somebody did that. They might just be confused. But Elvis said, I'm not the king. There is one king, and that's Jesus. He is, he is Christ. And Elvis was right. <laughs> Jesus is the true king, and yet the expectations that we put on him are, are different. They were different back then, and they're different now. The kind of king that people are looking for is something different. So this morning, this passage, Jesus is saying, come and follow me. Come and follow me. But if you're going to do that, you've got to follow me all the way to the cross. So that's what we're going to look at. These two sections. Come and follow me to the cross. Because that's where I'm going. He invites everyone. He invites the crowd to come and follow him to the Christ. We're just going to walk through this passage verse by verse because I think it preaches itself. Peter, Peter says in verse 29, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Now what does that mean? A lot of people just think that Christ is his last name. Is that right? Jesus Christ? That was like Peter Armstrong, Jesus Christ. Christ was uh, this, you know, it's, it's Messiah. He's saying you're the Messiah that we've been waiting for, that we've been looking for, that our people have been waiting for for thousands of years. It means he's the Messiah. It means he's the king. The king that is the ultimate king that's going to come and put everything Right. It's a, you know, there's a book that every pastor in America has read except me. It's called The Lord of the Rings. I refuse to read it. I haven't even seen the movies. I'm just a holdout. But I do know that the last movie or the last book was uh, called Return of the King. Return of the King. And why is that? It's because Tolkien, you know, laid out this vision that when the king comes back, He's going to put everything right. He's going to make everything right again. And that is the hope of the scriptures as well. That Jesus the King will return and make everything right. But which which king? You know, which king is coming and how? How is Jesus going to do that? Well, he says in verse 31, he calls himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And that was Jesus' favorite title for himself. He uses it twice, just in this little section here. And Son of Man comes from this idea from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. And it's, it's this, different kind of, this different kind of king. It says, Daniel 7 says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the one that's been written about in the Hebrew Scriptures. And yet, Jesus also does this thing that nobody before him ever did, that never occurred to any rabbi, to any teacher. And that's to bring together this Son of Man idea from Daniel and this suffering servant idea from Isaiah, especially Isaiah 53. Nobody thought that the king would come and suffer and lay down his life and make a bigger kingdom than anyone expected. But that's what Jesus did. Because how else do you get all nations, languages, people serving him? Peter... Peter was looking for a Jewish Messiah who would overthrow Rome and kind of make him the vice president. That he's going to be up there and he's going to have this power that he's been looking for. This is kind of... I talk about this every year on Palm Sunday because it's what kind of king is coming in. And everyone was expecting this Messiah to come in on a horse with power and with might, with military might. And even, you know, the Lord of the Rings, that's what happens. I I hear that's what happens. It's on the movie poster. But what did Jesus come in with? Jesus came in riding a donkey. A donkey. This humble animal. Because Jesus is a different kind of king. The, the Gospel Transformation Study Bible says this, The disciples were right to understand the Messiah to be one who came to restore God's people. But they failed to see that this restoration would not be as they expected, but as they most deeply needed. It was not political, but spiritual. They wanted rescue from the Romans, but they needed rescue from their sins. They wanted rescue from the Romans, but they needed rescue for their sins. Jesus gave them that. Jesus brought it together. And it makes sense. It makes sense when you think about it. You know, we we love the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. We love the story of Aslan, this strong and mighty lion who has all the power and yet allows himself to be sacrificed so that the children can go free. We live in a world where nobody really takes responsibility Nobody really gives us an apology. I'm thinking of corporate America. I'm thinking of the political world. People want to be reelected so they can't take any responsibility for what went wrong. You know, last year, Wells Fargo committed all this fraud and they, committed, they, they created all these fake accounts and they were busted. 
And you know what should happen? What should happen is the CEOs and the bosses and the pastors of corrupt churches and everybody else, they should take responsibility and say, you know what? This happened on my watch and I'll take care of it. I'll pay the fines. I'll fall on the sword. But it never happens. It never happens. The incredible thing about Jesus is that nothing was his fault, and yet he still sacrifices himself. He's like a CEO that did everything right, and yet takes the blame, takes the responsibility, takes the punishment for my sins and your sins, and nails them to the cross. After Jesus tells them that he is the Son of Man, and yet he's going to suffer, and it's going to be different than they expect, Peter rebukes Jesus. Crazy. Crazy. Who does he think he is? I mean, my summary of that, my interpretation of that would be, Peter tries to rebuke God. The God who created everything, the God who made him, the God who made the heavens of the earth, Peter rebukes him. And rebuke is a really strong word. Rebuke is the word that's used when Jesus goes to these people that are filled with demons. And he rebukes the demons. He rebukes the evil spirit. He throws them out. Peter tries to do that to Jesus. It's crazy. And he gets it right back, doesn't he? Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about the long term. You're not thinking about God's perspective. You're not thinking about the really big things I'm going to do. It doesn't matter that you could be vice president for a few years in Israel. I'm talking about an eternal kingdom. All of, all of Peter's plans are ruined, but all of God's plans are coming true. What God sent Jesus to do, it's, it's happening because Jesus is telling them, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross, and I'm inviting you to come with me and surrender your life and your hopes and your dreams, and that is when you really find life. Jesus is being straight with them. And amazing, you know, what's, what's really amazing is that Peter did learn. You know, right now, he's not seeing it. He's confused. He doesn't know what's happening. Um, but eventually, he did learn. And he went to a literal cross. And he wouldn't even let them crucify him upright. He made them crucify him upside down. Because he felt that he was so unworthy. He didn't Peter out. He made it to the finish line. You know, I hate that expression. Don't ever use it around me, that he petered out. I don't know if that comes from this guy or what, but man, that's, when your name is Peter, that's, a, that's annoying. Just say, you know, he gave up or something. Don't say he petered out. The disciples, they didn't, they didn't understand the cross. They didn't know what it meant to take up their cross. And it, it, was, it was shameful. I mean, criminals and terrible people were crucified. 
It's like, it's like the electric chair today. I mean, none of us would wear an electric chair around our necks. That's kind of what we do now. They didn't understand it. It was just this method of punishment. Remember, they wanted, they wanted rescue from the Romans, but they needed rescue from their sins. And that's what Jesus was giving them. Jesus says, Jesus says, I must, I must go to the cross. There's no talking him out of it. There's no bargaining with him. He must go to the cross because of his love. Because of his love for people. Jesus is willing to suffer and to die because because of his unchanging love for people, for us. That's what sends him to the cross. And that's actually what, that's what really changes us. When we get a vision of that, that God loves us so much to send his son into the world to die in our place. That makes us want to love people around us and walk the second mile And not think of ourselves first, but think of other people. And love them in really practical ways. My former pastor, he used to say that the gospel can be summarized as, God loves you, don't be a fool. God loves you, don't be a fool. A lot of the mistakes we make in our life, a lot of the big things that we do that end up hurting us later, these regrets that we have, it's because we forgot that God loves us so much that we went looking for love somewhere else instead of staying rooted in Christ and His love shown us on the cross. My, uh, my friend who was a, he's a pastor in New York and he told me this story that this, this woman visited his church and she had been gone, you know, she was like 40 years old. She hadn't been to church in like 25 years. And she, she had a good experience. You know, God was speaking to her. And she was leaving the church. She was, about, she was walking home. And after about a block, she turned around. She said, I, I just, I want to talk to that pastor. I want to, you know, find out more about Christ. And she went back and they made an appointment to, for him to come to the church. And she walked into uh, to his office and she sat down. And right away, he just said to her, you know what, Diana? God loves you. God loves you, Diana. He misses you. You've been away for 20 years, but God loves you. And instantly, she began to break down and cry that God had been with her that whole time, calling her back. You know, I've tried that a few times. I've said, you know, God loves you, Rose. Nobody ever cries. Doesn't, I, I don't know what the deal is, but... You know, if I try that on you sometime, if you, could, if you could just summon up a few tears, that would, really, that would really be an encouragement to me. But no, God, God spoke to her. That God, you know, God loves us, even, even though, you know, fill in the blank, even though we've done this, even though we've done that, even though we haven't been perfect, even though we're not always loving to those around us. God keeps loving us. And that's why Jesus says, I must I must go to the cross to show humanity my love.
And that's, that's, what the, that's what's at the heart of the Christian faith. That Christ loves us enough to go to the cross for us. And we're so, we're so thankful for that. We have this gratitude because of what he's done. And yet along with that, along with that, Jesus goes to the cross and yet he invites us as well to lay down our lives. And he says, follow me. There's this response that is necessary that shows that we understand God's love, that shows that we understand what Christ has done for us. And this this is such an important teaching. That's that's why I said we can base our whole lives on on this. This is a firm foundation. When Jesus is, is, uh, is talking about losing your life, you know, today we would say that that's like losing your identity. Losing your, your identity, the thing that you put the most stake in. You know, I am, I'm a hard worker. I'm a, I'm a good parent. I, I'm a great student. All these things. I've, uh, I've, I'm financially successful. All these things that we put our identity in. Jesus is saying, it's not a secure identity. If you want to save your identity, lose your identity. Lose your identity. Lose your soul. Use your psyche. Lose your life. And gain your life with me. Think about... Um, Think about somebody that you admire. Think about somebody that you would, uh, you know, that you respect, that you would like to become a little more like them, that you like to emulate them. It, it, uh, it could be, you know, maybe a parent, a beloved parent, uh, or uh, someone that you admire at work, someone that has great patience and grace under fire, uh, maybe a, a leader at this church. But I bet you. I bet you that they have these two things in their life that I think are part of going to the cross, you know, following Jesus to the cross, giving up their life. First, they're unselfish. They're unselfish. They're not always just thinking of themselves, but they put other people first. They pour out their lives for other people. You know, it's like they, the first thing they do in the morning before their feet hit the ground, they just say, Lord, what can I do for you today? Lord, what can I do for you? And if you ask God that question, a lot of times he will send a person your way that needs encouragement, that needs a kind word, that needs a hug or a pat on the back. Lord, how can I serve you today? And, you know, we tend to think that there's no joy there, that if we, if we really gave up our lives, that if we really put other, other people first, I mean, how's that, how's that going to work? Aren't we going to have to give up everything that we want and all the things that we enjoy? Well, true joy is on the other side of that question. True joy is on the other side of, what can I do for you, Lord? What can I do for other people? 
Because that's how God created us. To live for others. And Jesus going to the cross and inviting us to come to the cross, that's the most unselfish thing that's ever been done. So when we are unselfish, when we put other people first, there's joy there. There's joy. The second thing that I bet this person you admire has is that they have perseverance. They have perseverance. They've been through some stuff. They've walked through tremendous challenges. And they've come out the other side more like Jesus. More like him. Jesus went through all of that. All of those challenges. You know, physical um, agony. Spiritual agony. You know, he, he cried out. This feeling of being forsaken. This feeling of being forsaken by his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he stayed true to the mission that God gave him. He completed the work that was supposed to be done. That work of saving sinners like me. That was what God sent him to do. Folks like that, they look, they look at the challenges of life and they say, God, I know you're going to use this. I know you're going to use it to make me more like Jesus. This thing that I'm going through, this broken relationship, this challenge at work, this addiction, this diagnosis, this health problem, they can look at it and they can say, God, I trust you. I know you have a plan. I can't see it right now, but I know you're going to use this. And so then we, you know, we, it, it removes our fears. I was thinking about this this week, you know, that even if this happens, I'm going to be okay. Because God has a plan. And he's going to use it to grow me. That's what the cross and resurrection are all about. The joy of death and resurrection and how God meets us in that. So let me close by just looking at this verse 30, this uh, verse 35, you know, this, this, this identity. I want to just close with, uh, with this quote from C.S. Lewis that, that talks about this. You know, losing our life and, and finding it. You know, it really, it really reminds us to stop, stop trying to be like Peter the Apostle. You know, to have your own agenda to come to God with your plans, but to sit back and to know that he has a plan. He has an identity for us. When we give that up, we gain. We gain so much. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. This is at the end of mere Christianity. He said, give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end and you will save it. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that hasn't died will ever be raised from the dead.
If you look for yourself, if you look after yourself, you'll find in the long run loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But if you look for Christ and find Him, you'll find Him and everything else thrown in. Jesus and everything else, everything else that matters, Jesus gives to us. When we surrender to Him, lose our lives and go to the cross. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what, what a challenge from, from Your mouth. Teach us what it means in the little things and the big things to surrender our hopes and our dreams and our plans to you and to find a life that truly matters, the life that is truly life. Lord, what does it mean for me and my friends to take up our cross and follow you? Show us what it means to walk with you in the suffering that we might walk with you in the joy and in the abundant life that you give us. It's only by your Spirit that we'll do this. It's only by your Spirit convicting us, speaking to our mind and our heart, that we have any shot of this. Show us what it means to be your disciple and to follow you today. In the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.